Hi, I'm Brandy. And I'm Angelina. And welcome to Talk 40 to Me. We're having all the candid conversations you'd have with your bestie. Join us as we unpack life in our 40s and all the questions that led up to this next chapter. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Angelina. And this is Brandy. And this is another episode of Talk 40 to Me. I am so unbelievably thrilled to introduce today's guest. I met Dr. Sarah Reardon a few years ago. A friend recommended me to her and I became her pelvic floor therapy patient. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you guys that was a life-changing experience for me. And I've talked about that experience with many friends, Brandy included. Yep. And we were on a walk. I don't know if I've shared this yet, but the reason why this whole podcast came about, we were both walking separately on the phone, walking, talking, and somehow we got on the subject of pelvic floor therapy. And I started telling Brandy about it. And I said, more people need to know about this. I've had this experience with this pelvic floor therapist. It's been amazing. And she didn't know about it. And so Brandy, she'll share more about this, but she sought out pelvic floor therapy after that conversation. And when we started this podcast, it all stemmed from that big conversation about things we're not talking about as women, things we need to talk about more. And Sarah was really an inspiration for me for that. And our first thought when we started, it was, we have to get the vagina whisperer on our show when we have, like, she has to come on this, this show. So she is a doctor of physical therapy, board certified women's health and pelvic floor therapist, mom of two. Um, Y'all, she even has a Ted talk. So and then Brandy, your pelvic floor therapist, yes. knew, her, knew her, followed her. Yes. So I, as Angelina mentioned, she was talking about pelvic floor therapy and uh, to our little friend group. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? And she was telling us. And then just my personal experience, like I have two kids, have had issues since my first pregnancy and just thought it was normal and struggled with it. And so Angelina was my inspiration to look into it. So I asked an OBGYN to please send me a referral to a pelvic floor therapist. And I started going to one, I need to go back. I only did a few sessions and I took a little bit of a break for travel, but I was telling her about uh, how I learned about pelvic floor therapy through my friend Angelina and how there's this person in New Orleans and, and she has an Instagram called the vagina whisper. And, and my pelvic floor therapist said that she follows you, Sarah. And she said that you are helping to inspire so many other women, helping to inspire physical therapists in the industry and how it is such an underserved uh, profession that there's so many more people needed. And, and so I was in awe when, I mean, as she's like giving me therapy, we're talking about all of this. And <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing that it all started, it all stemmed from a conversation from Angelina, but wow, the, the traction that you are making is so phenomenal. And so it, it's just an honor to have you a part of, a part of our discussion today. Yeah. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you both. I mean, I'm like getting flushed, you know, hearing all of this is it was never the intention, but it's been pretty amazing to even think that I've been able to move the, the needle or just help move the needle a little bit to just create more awareness about pelvic floor therapy, that there are resources out there for folks who are experiencing anything from urinary leakage to painful intercourse to 
abdominal separation or just, you know, wanting to understand our bodies better. So it's, it's been amazing. And I loved meeting Angelina years ago, and I've kind of followed her journey as well. And so it, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. And I wanted to ask, how did this get started? Where, where did you get your start? Well, I went to physical therapy school. I got a bachelor's degree and then I went straight to physical therapy school, which is a three-year doctorate program. And I thought that I was going to be a personal trainer for the New Orleans Saints and come back and do sports PT. And somewhere along my journey in grad school, one of my professors did what was then called women's health physical therapy. And it was working same similar pelvic floor stuff. And so I said, you know, that's really interesting to learn more about my own body as a woman And so I did a clinical rotation in it for three months, and I just really loved it. I think that it was pretty amazing to work with this part of the body that we often think of as so intimate and private, which it is. But I was also like, this is like working with an ankle or a shoulder. It's just another part of the body. It didn't bother me at all. And then also to meet patients who had been struggling so privately with issues that were just affecting their life so much, and they didn't know where to get help. And then they were finally able to get help, and it was just, really life-changing for them. And I think I really fed off of that um, experience and helping people with something they didn't know where to get help. And that was 15 years ago. And so I've been, I feel like a dinosaur in this field because I've been doing it for so long. And then five years ago, when I was pregnant with my second son, I started the Vagina Whisper Instagram account. And I moved back to New Orleans a few months after he was born and opened my clinic here in NOLA Pelvic Health. And it's just really as you said, gain traction. And I think that that's a testament to just how much people want this information and they're not getting it from other places. For sure. When I was speaking with my PT, she said, is this common? Yes. Is this normal? No, you shouldn't be experiencing this. And it's funny, Angelina and I sent a a text to different friends and we're like, Hey, you know, what kind of questions would you guys have? And it, it was, it was such an interesting social experiment in a way because some people were wondering, what is pelvic floor therapy? What is a pelvic floor? What is a pelvic floor therapist? Tell me more about when should I go and see one? So I think that in itself is a testament that we don't talk about this enough because we, we think it's, yes, it is very private and very personal, but that's the point of why we wanted to do this today because we want to be able to take this information and hopefully inspire someone and make them feel like if you're experiencing this, it's okay. Like you're not the only one experiencing it. And yes, there's help out there. So uh, we're just thrilled to continue this conversation. So maybe you can expand on that, like to answer those questions, like maybe that's where we can start. Like what, cause that was, that was mind blowing for me when you told me, yes, this is very common, but it is not normal. So can you just tell people who don't even know, we can start there, what, what is it? How does it work? What do you do? Absolutely. So as a pelvic floor therapist, as a physical therapist, I work with muscles and I just work with the muscles in the pelvic region. So the pelvic floor is kind of like a basket of muscles that sit at the very bottom of your pelvis. We always think about like that bony skeleton pelvis um, where our hips are. And this basket of muscles sits at the bottom, kind of like a hammock. And it supports your pelvic organs like your bladder, your rectum, which holds poop, your uterus, ovaries, and then obviously a a growing fetus during pregnancy. The pelvic floor also has openings um, for the urethra where urine exits, for the rectum where poop exits, and then the vaginal opening. And that's in female bodies. In male bodies, they have two openings. 
So if we think about the functions this muscle has, it's pretty important. It helps us keep in pee and poop. It helps us support a growing baby. It has a role in menstruation and sexual health and bladder and bowel health. So it's so important, but we don't talk about it. And so when something happens, like we start leaking or we have pain with sex or we're pregnant and things are changing, we don't even know what's going on or where to go for help. So as a pelvic floor PT, we do an external assessment by looking at your abdominal wall and your hips and your low back and just kind of looking at your muscles and the way that you're moving. And then we do do an intravaginal or intrarectal muscle assessment. Most often it's intravaginal, which means with a glove lubricated finger, kind of like you're lying down on a, um, a plinth or a hospital bed. It's not a hospital bed. It's just a kind of a bed. In our clinics, you're covered with a sheet, but we insert a finger into the vaginal opening and ask you to squeeze your muscles like you're doing a Kegel to test your strength. We ask you to cough or bear down to see if you can relax your muscles well. We assess for weakness, and then we also assess for tension or tightness or tone. And then we're able to determine, are your muscles tense and they need relaxation, or are they weak and they need strengthening? And so it's really muscle therapy. It's just a different kind of intimate muscle therapy. But, you know, I think it's – um. I really applaud both of you for talking about your stories and talking to one another and to your community because that's the way that we learn is that we share our stories. We talk to our girlfriends or other moms, and that's how we are able to kind of keep, you know, keep educating people that this is out there, that we don't have to just deal with these issues. And so what are some of the reasons that somebody should seek pelvic floor therapy? And do you think this is something that every woman should be doing? So, Yes. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned this to you earlier. I think that going to a pelvic floor therapist should be like going to the dentist. Like we go to the dentist twice a year. If they find something that's a little bit off, we get a cavity filled, we get some education on how to improve our dental hygiene. And then you come and check back in for a part of your body this important that has a lot of really important roles. I'm like, why not just check in? So I do think that everybody should have a session with a pelvic floor PT to assess for weakness or tension or anything like that. Um, But some of the most important times I would say are if you're pregnant, your body just goes through a huge transformation. So going during pregnancy can just put you a little bit ahead of the curve and kind of assess how your muscles are doing and teach you how to prepare for birth, whether it's pushing, whether it's a cesarean birth. You know, I think that just helping someone train for that process can be really helpful. And then definitely postpartum, just like you have a check-in with your OBGYN or midwife going around six weeks postpartum. If it's past six weeks, it's never too late. You can still go, but still there's so much that's changed in your body and we're expected to go back to fitness and sex and taking care of kids without ever having any physical rehab. So those are two times I think it's pretty important. And then otherwise it's really if you have symptoms, which would be urinary leakage, overactive bladder or urinary urgency, feeling like you can't make it to the bathroom in time or feeling like you have to pee all the time, like every 30 minutes or an hour. If you have pressure or heaviness in your, in your vagina, if you feel like something's falling out or there's a bulge there or after standing for a long time or running, it feels like something's just heavy. And then if you have pooping problems like constipation, hemorrhoids, fissures, those times. And then also if you have painful intercourse, painful tampon insertion, pain with a pelvic exam, or if you have an abdominal separation, what we call diastasis recti. So those are kind of classic times we see people. And then also like hip pain, back pain, sacroiliac joint pain, things like that. I wish I would have known to go to a PT when we were during pregnant. my pregnancy. Yeah. 
I mean, not, even after, you know, it's like, gosh, I wish I would have known about this eight years ago. But at the same time, I wish I would have known during my pregnancy and maybe, you know, that that could have potentially, you know, helped with preparing my body. You're already kind of in a state of shock when you have your first child, at least for me, I didn't know what to ex I, what happened after having the baby is not what I expected to happen <laughs> after I had the baby. So that that in itself. And so I think having more education is so, I think, critical to helping us kind of get ahead of this. So we're, we're learning that this is so much more than leaking when you jump or leaking when you exercise. And you had a stat in your TED talk that, correct me if I'm wrong here, but 20% of urinary leakage after pregnancy almost doubles in terms of likely to lead to PPD. I'm sorry, you might need to correct me on that stat, but how urinary leakage essentially leads to postpartum depression. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's, it's so interesting because I kind of have ended up being a data nerd. And then when you look at these things, like, yeah, there is a high correlation between people who have, or there is a correlation between people who have urinary incontinence and have postpartum depression. And if we think about that, if urinary leakage is preventing you from exercising, from being social, you know, going out with your girlfriends, um, from having intercourse, or even just, you know, being self-conscious about your body or kind of how it's functioning, that's going to affect our activities and that's going to affect our life. If you're, I mean, for me, exercise is a huge stress reliever. So I think often as postpartum moms, we're like, I need to work out. I need to relieve stress. I have all this anxiety and we know exercise can help, but you leak or you don't want to go to a fitness class because you're going to soak your leggings or you used to run, but now you can't run. So what do you do? And I think that there's definitely a, a correlation there. And so, you know, we, it's interesting because I see all of these statistics about postpartum depression and mental health, but it's really so much more holistic than that, that these the symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction affect just so many aspects of our lives. Similarly with painful intercourse, if you don't, if you experience pain with intercourse, you're not going to want to do it. It can cause, you know, relational issues. It can cause self-esteem issues. So there's just a lot of barriers that can be put up because of this. So I, I love that the ripple effects of this go far because helping this one issue can just really have so many positive benefits in other aspects of your life. Something that you talked about in your TED talk, which was just, and this is a, this is a big conversation, but about healthcare for women specifically in the States versus around the world. That was just unbelievable to me. The differences is that, and I know that's something that you're passionate about. Yeah, it is. And I think that it, it just, there's a better way and other people are doing it differently and better. And it's really just this huge Pandora's box of once we open up, like how are moms treated in the United States? And, you know, after going through two and a half years of COVID and really feeling that burden of the moms being the caretakers and career people and healthcare providers and all these things for our family, but it felt like you were kind of on an island, like you just had to do it yourself. And, and that's really what postpartum care has become in our country that we're sent home maybe two to three days after giving birth with these babies, baby or babies, we're supposed to feed them, we're supposed to care for them, we're supposed to get back to work, we're supposed to take care of our other kids, we're supposed to nourish a relationship if we have one, and then we're also supposed to physically heal our bodies. And that's a huge task. And I think that right from the start as a new mom, 
even myself, I felt like, okay, this is really hard. Like, how did everybody else go through this? I mean, when you hear other moms say like, oh, it's hard. Like, I don't even think that they, you know what that means until you go through that. And you're like, oh, damn, this is really hard, you know? So I just think that if we had more touch points in our postpartum care, it would just only help improve not just our mental health, but our physical health and just the way that we function in all of these arenas. Yes. This is just so such an important conversation. I feel like we need to be having. And then for me, and I'll share this, my, my, and I had told, I had shared this with Sarah, my grandmother, you know, had, you know, these issues and she was having to do in and out catheters by the time she was, you know, upper seventies. Um, and then I heard your statistic that like over 50% of women by the age of 65 suffer from this. And so I'm seeing this is running in my family. And then I go to you and I, I get the help that I need. And then I find out that this also contributes to, could be contributing to my back pain, to my hip pain. I had diastasis recti and I didn't even know it. I mean, it was just, it's mind blowing. And to think that so many women just don't seek it out. And then who knows, I could end up in my seventies where like you, I think you said it contributes to nursing home, you know, increase in admission. It does. So, um, and this is interesting because I'm like, okay, I don't want to scare people. (laughs) I want to inspire them and encourage them. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing when you see these stats of like, 50% 50% of people over the age of 65 leak urine. I'm like, I don't want to be that. And like, if I am that, then I at least want to feel like I've done everything I can to avoid that. Right. And so I think, you know, the narrative for a long time has been like, oh, leaks are just a normal part of being a lady or use these liners and help yourself live your life. And I'm like, there's more that we can do. And I mean, this is exercise, just like if, you know, you have back pain or hip pain or a shoulder injury or need hip surgery, we would address these issues. But because I think this is such a private issue, it hasn't been tended to. And it's just kind of been like, oh, this is just part of being a mom or part of aging. And I think that we can change that narrative. And and that's really where a lot of prevention comes from, seeing somebody during pregnancy, going to a postpartum checkup. You know, my goal is that even just when we start going to the OBGYN at 18, you check in with a pelvic floor PT as well, because younger women have these issues when they start having intercourse for the first time or try to insert a tampon or they're, you know, high school, college athletes leaking when they're running and they don't even know that these are issues that they can get help for. You know, it was mind blowing when I went, I was filling out the forms for my PT (laughs) and it was like, do you have hip pain? Do you have this? Do you have this? And I was like, oh, I have chronic hip pain. And so I just checked the box and she's like, Hey, I see on your paperwork that you have hip pain. I'm like, yeah, I think I need to ask the doctor for like another referral for my hip. But yes, it's like awful. I've had it for years. And she's like, do you know that this is potentially all related to your pelvic floor? And I was like, what? She's like, yeah. And, and I mean, I literally like my mind was blown. And it, it was just, I'm like, how is it connected? I don't understand this. And so I think that there's, you know, we, we hear about urinary leakage and incontinence and things like that, but there's so many other parts that your pelvic floor is connected to that therapy can help from, from what I'm understanding and, you know, adding on to what Angelina was saying. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's hip. So your pelvic floor is part of your core. And we always, I think in Pilates and yoga and fitness, we've always talked about your core, your core, and we think it's just your abdominal wall. 
but it's really like a canister and your abs are in the front, but you've got your back muscles, you've got your pelvic floor muscles at the bottom, and then you've got your diaphragm at the top. So it's almost like a Coke can type canister and it's all connected. And like your hips and your pelvic floor attached to your pelvis, your back, your abs attached to your pelvis. So it's your, the way that you breathe. I mean, all of these things are so connected. I think what's really awesome is that you know, I do see this changing. I see people, you know, like yourselves, I see more physicians referring, I see people requesting to go to physical therapy and physicians are kind of getting the memo of like, oh, this, this is out there and it can actually help people. And so I really, over the past five years have seen it improve. And in New Orleans, where we're from, it's been a huge transformation. I mean, there was no other physical therapy clinic here. When I started, it was kind of a couple PTs and some hospital clinics. And now there's so many more therapists here. And, um, you know, we have three therapists in our own practice where it was just me when I started. And so it's just super exciting to see people get the help that they need. And when we were doing this, we started, so Brandy and I, we tapped into some friends and I just texted, we texted some different groups and I said, Hey, you guys look, I'm doing, um, this interview for the podcast have Dr. Sarah Reardon on, if you could ask her anything, what would you ask? And you break down so many barriers already with your Instagram account. So if people do not follow, if you don't follow her, you need to, you will learn so much. Yes. I wanted to ask you some of the questions that they asked us. Let's do it. I hope I have great answers. (laughs) (laughs) We have been... I cannot tell you. Chomping like we at have the to bit. do jumping jacks before this call. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay, so the first one is sort of a basic one, but Kegels, we all hear about it. And I can say, I learned from you. I was doing these wrong. How do we know? When do we do them? Are we doing them right? What's the proper way to tell? Totally. I mean, we grew up reading Cosmo magazine telling us to do Kegels like all the time. And that's just not (laughs) what we need to be doing necessarily. So you want to be doing Kegels or pelvic floor contractions, same thing, if you have weakness. If you, the challenge is a lot of people have tension and they're doing Kegels thinking that that's what they're supposed to do. And that's why it's really important to get a one-on-one assessment to make sure that you're doing the right path of exercises. But a Kegel contraction is kind of a squeeze and lift of your pelvic floor muscles. So you're kind of envisioning if I'm urinating and I'm trying to stop my urine stream, that's a Kegel. If I'm in an elevator and I'm trying to hold in gas, that's a Kegel. So it's the front part which stops urine, the back part which stops gas. You're kind of squeezing and lifting your muscles. It's not sucking in. It's not clenching your butt. There's two ways I tell people to do it. If you're urinating and you're, or you're peeing on the toilet sitting down, try to stop your stream. That's a Kegel. You don't want to do Kegels while you're peeing normally, but that's just a good way to be like, okay, that's what the contraction feels like. The other way, which is a little bit dicier, is I actually tell people to kind of insert their finger into their vaginal opening and squeeze around it. If you feel something pushing out um, or you don't feel anything, then you're not doing the right thing. If you feel a squeeze and a lift, like you're sucking your finger up, I also call it like, it's almost like you're sucking up a smoothie with your vagina. That's a Kegel contraction. So if you have weakness, you want to do contractions like this. There's two different types. You want to do quick contractions where you just squeeze and relax, making sure you're fully relaxing. And then you want to do longer holds where you squeeze and hold for five or 10 seconds and then fully relax afterwards. The relax is just as important as the contraction. And then do them in different positions, lying down, sitting, standing, walking, things like that. 
Uh, yeah, the, the straw scenario was really helpful for me, like the connection there. Second question, Benoit Balls. What, this is what someone asked. This is genuine question from a friend. She said, should I, should I be using them? And for those who don't know, what are they? And is this something I need to be doing to strengthen my vaginal wall? Totally. So Benoit balls, Kegel weights, vaginal weights, jade eggs, what they are, they're like, sometimes they can be made of different substances. They can be metal, they can be jade, um, but they're typically a weight that you put into the vaginal opening and you tighten your pelvic floor to hold the weight in. And the concept is that if you kind of hold that ball in for an extended period of time, you're strengthening your pelvic floor. Now, the tricky part is if you were just holding your pelvic floor tight, it's not necessarily going to be stronger. And I, an analogy for this is like, if you want to strengthen your bicep, you don't just hold a five pound weight with your elbow bent all day, right? That's not how you strengthen a bicep. You need to contract your muscle and then fully relax your muscle, contract your muscle and then fully relax your muscle. So if you're using Benoit balls or jade eggs, you can insert them and do some contractions and then relax, contractions and then relax, or do exercises with them, like do bridges, do a little mini squat, do a little sidestep with them so you can practice contracting your muscle with that weight in. But I wouldn't recommend just walking around with a Benoit ball in for like five minutes a day. That's not necessarily going to strengthen your muscles. It could just maybe lead to tension. And then the other thing is sometimes there's this narrative that jade eggs or Benoit balls like give your vagina magical powers. That's not the case. <laughs> I would say that like, yeah, they can be used like weights to strengthen, but they're not going to give you like this warrior vagina or have some kind of magical thing that happens after. They're just weights like, like a, a dumbbell. I have to say, as we're talking about this, I just feel like, oh my gosh, that sounds so uncomfortable. <laughs> like just doing the exercises alone. I, I remember asking my PT, I'm like, can I take a break? Like I'm exhausted from just these little bitty exercises and to add a weight to that makes me cringe a little bit. Cause I'm like, Whoa, that just seems like, I don't think my body's prepared for anything like that. Yeah. And it varies. I mean, for some people who do a lot of higher intensity exercise, we use weights and I'll teach them how to do jumps or lunges or, you know, different activities where they just maybe need a little bit more power down there, but it's not for everybody. You're going to be okay if you don't use them, but if you want to use them, there's definitely like a, a, a an optimal way to do it. Would it potentially take it to the opposite uh, extreme, like where it could make someone too tight if they do it too much? Or, I mean, I know each person is different and would need to be assessed by a physician, but at the same time, like, is it possible to create too much tension in your wall by, by doing that? 100%. I think that's what we actually see a lot is that people are kind of like, they're afraid that they're leaking or that they have prolapse. So they just like pull their pelvic floor in all the time or, you know, they're not happy with their postpartum tummy. So they kind of like suck their bellies in all the time. And that's just creating just static tension in the muscles versus strength. And when you have tension, you really need to relax the muscles first before strengthening. So yeah, walking around with something like that, it's like walking around with your shoulders, like lifted up to your ears. Like that's not comfortable. It's just going to cause more tension, which could lead to headaches or whatever. Same thing in your pelvic floor, chronically holding your pelvic floor could start leading to tension, which can lead to a whole separate slew of issues like tailbone pain, painful intercourse, difficulty emptying your bladder, constipation, things like that. I can't pronounce this word. 
So you guys are going to have to help me. Diastasis recti. That was perfect. Okay. Thank you. So uh, Angel mentioned that she had it. I have a close friend who's been for 10 years has been going through PT, trying to correct it. She's electing for surgery now. Can you, that's, I think that that would be something really interesting to understand. Like, how do you know you have it? When to see a PT? Are there different degrees of uh, severity with it? Where is there a point in time where a PT may recommend surgery or can it be? I don't know if the word fixed is right, but uh, healed. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is a great question. And um, so diastasis recti is kind of a separation down the midline of your abdominal wall. So if we imagine your six pack muscles, and I always say like mine are in there, I've never seen them, but you, I know I have them. So you've got this six pack of muscles in the front of your abs, and then you have a little line right down the middle that's called your linea alba. Typically, diastasis recti occurs during pregnancy when your abs are just stretching quite a bit, and it doesn't necessarily go away on its own after birth. The reason, you know, our bodies are designed to hold babies. They kind of amazingly work this way, and your abs are kind of designed to stretch. It's not like stuck together. But because of the added pressure of pregnancy, they stretch, and what you see down the midline is if you are like getting out of bed or getting out of a chair and you kind of crunch up and it looks like you have a little dome or a football at the midline of your abdomen, that's a diastasis recti. It can start from like just below your sternum to all the way to your pubic bone. So above and below the belly button. And it looks like a little football or something coming out during pregnancy or postpartum, but it can also be like a dip in the midline. Like if you do a crunch and you can put your fingers down above your belly button and it kind of feels like you're sinking into your guts a little bit, that's also diastasis recti. So it's what we call invagination or doming of the abs. And it just gives you information. It's not like a dooming diagnosis. It just means we have to learn how to manage your pressure better. So avoiding straining. One of the top things I tell moms is to always exhale with exertion. So when you are lifting a stroller into your car, when you're picking your kid out of the bathtub, when you're carrying in your box of Costco groceries, like exhale instead of holding your breath. You'll find if you hold your breath, the pressure has to go somewhere. So it goes out towards your abdomen or down towards your pelvic floor. But if you breathe out and exhale, that helps kind of put the pressure somewhere else. The other thing is you want to try to avoid the activities that make it worse. So instead of like doing a crunch to get out of bed, you roll to your side, roll to your side to get off your yoga mat. And then the strengthening portion is like learning how to engage your pelvic floor and your deep abdominal muscles, which we call your transverse abdominal muscles. And that helps kind of stiffen the diastasis to get it more tense and strong over time. So it's a process. I mean, most of us have this for pregnancy, postpartum, sometimes years. So it definitely takes time to re-strengthen or to heal. You can get it better. But when it comes to surgery, I definitely have patients who I've said, you know, I think that this is valuable to go consult with a surgeon. And the things I usually tell them are you should be done breastfeeding, you should be done having babies, and you should at least be a year postpartum. So that's typically when all of our hormones have kind of calmed down. If we know that those things are, those boxes are checked and it's still pretty significant, then I'm like, absolutely go in. You still need to do therapy before and after like any other surgery, but you can get it surgically fixed. That's good to know. It's important. Very good to know. I had a couple more questions I wanted to add and to ask you for my friends. So speaking of like, you're talking about childbirth and having kids from a mom in her mid forties, she asked, Ask her why my vagina is broken. 
She said, I have, <laughs> this, is, this is a genuine question. This is a legitimate question from someone. Since having children, I have no desire. Um, I am still nursing, but none whatsoever, not even for my vibrator. How do I fix it? Great question. So one, your vagina is not broken. It's just maybe a little sleepy. So that's understandable. <laughs> Everything is sleepy after we have kids, right? You know, when you are postpartum, when you are breastfeeding or nursing, and when you are entering menopause, your estrogen levels are lower. So estrogen is a hormone that really helps increase our sexual desire. So when we think about during pregnancy, how some people feel like they have more sexual desire or higher libido, it's because we have 30 times more estrogen in our bodies during pregnancy. It's also why we're like a little bit more emotional and things like that. And this happens during your cycle, right around ovulation, you have like more discharge and you know, you may be a little bit more emotional. It's because your estrogen levels are really high. When you're breastfeeding and lactating, your estrogen levels are really low because low estrogen helps keep up your milk supply. So there's a hormone called prolactin that increases, but in order for prolactin to be high, estrogen has to be low. And that's why we don't get our periods for a long time after birth when we're breastfeeding. So give it time. There's a couple things I would do. I would know that this is just a season. I wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself. As you get further out from birth, further out from breastfeeding, it will start to improve. And I would do things that do make you feel good. It doesn't have to be having sex, but it could be working out. It could be, you know, playing tennis. It could be hanging out with your friends, something that gives you a little bit of filling of your cup. And I think that that typically helps us feel less depleted overall. And then once you're ready, like you don't even have to bring your partner into it. Like start with your vibrator, figure out your body, see what feels good before you bring a partner into that role. But no, it is a little bit of like the more you use it, the less you'll lose it. So you do want to start that journey, but it takes time and everybody kind of goes at their own pace, but it's not broken. <laughs> it's fixable. That's so helpful because I, I, you know, I know I understand that question feeling like, oh gosh, everything is so different and, and rolling that kind of rolls into the second one. So an, another question that we had was, can I desensitize myself with a vibrator or another toy? And is there any reason that that could be not beneficial for me? So no. Um, and I'm assuming this means like if you desensitize me, like if I use my vibrator a lot, like will I only be able to have an orgasm with that? So the majority of people have orgasms with clitoral stimulation. It's like maybe 10% of people have it or can have one with vaginal insertion as well. So I think what we see in movies or read about, like just take that off most people have them with vaginal stimulation. No, you're not going to necessarily desensitize yourself. I'm like, go for it. The more you have, the happier you'll be. Like, that's fine. <laughs> but just know that it's like, you're a little bit like on speed. Like you're, you know, your arousal's on speed when you're using a vibrator. And the normal process takes much longer. The normal arousal process, either on your own or with a partner that isn't using a vibrator, it just takes longer. So just know that that doesn't go away. But if you kind of, it just is, you're always going to have kind of faster ones, quicker ones, which is fine. As moms, like we don't have a ton of time. It'll happen more with the vibrator, but you won't desensitize it necessarily. I think it's so important you pointed out, like, it's not like television because I feel like we didn't have these conversations. Brandy, always, Brandy and I always talk about this. Like we didn't have these conversations enough when we were younger. And so you have these misconceived notions as you're coming into womanhood about how things are supposed to be. And it's not like TV. It's not like the pictures, not like the movies. Yeah. It's not even like social media. I mean, I think that was the thing that I was so jaded by was I saw all of these like 
adorable people and these like newborn baby outfits and family photos. And I was like, okay, I'm crying in a closet right now. (laughs) Like with my newborn baby, I don't see those pictures. Like nobody told me that's what it was going to be. And so totally, I think it's really, you know, again, we don't want to scare people, but we also want to let them know, like, it's okay that it's not perfect. It's not supposed to be perfect. These are snapshots that we share and we're lovely and I, and it's, it's lovely. And I do that too. But there is definitely a lot that goes on that we just don't share because it's really, it's not that, you know, pretty. That was one of the key topics when each of us had kids uh, was breastfeeding and how each one of us out of our group of four friends, each one of us had a very different experience. And I remember for me personally, I thought I was okay. I didn't enjoy breastfeeding. I had a lot of trouble. I also felt like a failure because I couldn't produce. And I remember my lactation consultant telling me, I was like crying in her office. This was just like probably a couple weeks after I had my first son. And she said, Brandy, there is a fine line between baby blues and postpartum depression. If at any point it's too much, this isn't worth it. She's like, I am here to tell you, yes, I'm here to promote breastfeeding, but if it's too much on your body and too much on you emotionally, then then it's not worth it. Your baby's gonna be fine. And you feel so alone in that moment because no one really talks about it. And it was super helpful to hear from our other friends about what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy, what was their experience. So that way you didn't feel like you were on this island. And because you hear so, you hear, So many people, whether it's on social or in other areas of life on how wonderful it is. And for many people, it is that way, but for so many other people, it's not. And I, and and I think this is, you know, the same, the same thing that, you know, we, we sometimes feel very isolated that if I go for a run and, and I start feeling like I'm going to pee my pants, like, why am I feeling this way? Why did you know, and then you start learning, oh, well, you know what? There's so many other people that are experiencing the same thing. And well, why aren't we talking about it? And is there something out there that can help? And and yes, there is. And so I'm I'm just so happy to be able to have this conversation with you guys. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I had a ton of struggles with breastfeeding. And I was like, I've worked with pregnant moms for a decade and I had no idea how hard it was going to be. And I have a twin and I saw her just kind of pop her baby on her boob and it seemed fine. Like she kind of intuitively knew what to do. And I had an amazing pregnancy. I had an amazing birth. Those things did great. And then when it came to breastfeeding, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And it wasn't intuitive for me. And again, you kind of feel like you're failing or you have put this expectation on yourself of how you're supposed to show up. And when you don't, I'm like, we're just starting our journey as moms and we're already like, and I'm screwing up already, you know? Mm -hmm. But I tell people this, I breastfed both of my kids. I struggled for a long time, ended up breastfeeding both of them for a really long time. And I'm like, okay, both of them, one of them's broken his leg twice. One of them has eczema. I mean, we've been to the ER seven times for them. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's not like... Pixie dust. I mean, your kids are going to be fine. And I think I needed to know at some point, like your baby is going to be fine, whether you breastfeed or don't breastfeed. It's really ultimately how you are taking care of yourself as a mom that makes a difference as well. Definitely. 
And I love that you open up the door for these conversations to make women feel like we're not alone. And this journey, we're all doing this together. We're all doing the best we can. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's interesting because people are like, how are you so vulnerable? I'm like, you know, we're asking patients to show up in our clinics every day and be vulnerable with us. And they're sharing the intimate details of their life. And I'm no different. Like I am still like hot mess mama behind the scenes, you know? So like, I'm just another mom trying to figure it out too, you know, who's had two babies. So it's, um, yeah, just try to give a little bit more authenticity to the experience. For sure. So moving on, what has been the most significant part of this journey for you? Is there anything that really stands out as you have continued to share more information, be more open about pelvic floor therapy? Is there anything that really just has been this sort of aha moment for you as you've walked through this journey? It's a great question. And I think sometimes I don't do a good enough job of pausing and looking back and being like, oh, what have what have I built? You know, I think giving the TED talk was just probably one of the most pivotal parts of my career. It was a lot of work. It took a lot of humility because I messed up tons of times during practice. But to just have kind of a stage where you can really share how passionately you feel about something and you know, hope that that message reaches, reaches more people. I think that that was a pretty huge. And I think that the other thing has been starting my clinic in New Orleans. I mean, I love this community here. We thought we were going to be here for 18 months and move back to Dallas. And we're here five and a half years now and, you know, plan on staying and my kids are in school here. And, but I think really being able to serve a community, which I'm so passionate about, like, I love New Orleans. My family's here. My friends are here. And to really start seeing change in some of the outcomes and birth experiences that moms have here is just so incredibly rewarding. And to work with other great women in my clinic who are just as passionate and equally skilled and talented and help support them as women in the workplace with flexibility and healthcare and, you know, just things that we need to thrive that we just aren't necessarily getting from other employees or places. So it's, it's just been awesome. That being said, I want to ask, what are some takeaways that we can give women who are listening today? I know if people follow you, you offer some guides, you know, that they can subscribe to and get online. What are some things that we could do today as women to improve our health and our pelvic floor? And what can, what could they expect from, from you? Sure. So I think the first thing is kind of broad and just like, if you feel like something's wrong, get it checked out. The worst that can happen is you go see someone, a pelvic PT, and they're like, no, everything's fine. You're like, okay, great. Good to know. So I think just kind of getting educated a little bit on this part of your body, know that it's not scary. It feels a little mystical, but it's it's really not that bad. I promise. I've got a ton of videos on my Instagram about what to expect in a session. So hopefully that can demystify some of this. The other thing is that there are some things that we can do for prevention. So I have a guide on my website that's totally free, like my six top tips to prevent and overcome pelvic floor problems. And I think that these are things just like everybody needs to know, like how to poop properly by using a little stool under your feet, like a squatty potty and, you know, exhaling when you're pooping instead of holding your breath. That's going to help prevent more weakness in your pelvic floor. Not pushing when you pee. I think as moms, we are notorious for just like racing through our bathroom trip. So when you pee, you just sit down, relax, take some big deep breaths and let your bladder empty itself. You don't have to push when you pee. And then the tip I mentioned earlier about exhaling with exertion. So this is whether you are doing deadlifts, whether you're doing bicep curls, whether you're lifting groceries or a kiddo, not holding your breath can help prevent issues and help manage them. And then also that you can train for your birth. 
you know, I always say pregnancy is like a marathon and birth is like a full on sprint at the end for three days. We don't go into these physical feats and not train for them in other aspects of our life. So why wouldn't we do that for pregnancy? So working with the pelvic PT or I do have an online like week by week exercise program that educates you on how to contract your pelvic floor, but also how to relax your pelvic floor and how to push and how to prepare for birth so that you just feel more informed and also more empowered going into these kind of vulnerable times in life. And we're going to put this in our show notes, but so for people who don't follow you, Instagram is the dot vagina dot whisper. Correct. And your website is the vag whisper.com or the vagina whisper.com. They both do the same thing. I love the it. The, whisper. <laughs> the name is just perfect. I mean, well, and I have to credit my college friends. They really gave that name to me when I started in this field 15 years ago. And then when I started my Instagram account, it was really just for my group of girlfriends because we're all having babies around the same time, but it's a, uh, it was a good choice and it, it's, it's stuck. Yeah. So if you guys find her um, on the internet, you will see her. She walks around in a giant vagina costume sometimes. I do. I do. My, my kids think it. it's a hot dog costume. <laughs> I don't know if that means I'm failing as a, as a mom because they don't know it's a, it's a vulva, but you know, we'll get there. But you have boys, right? They do. And they actually, I mean, are so informed. I mean, we use like the proper terms and I let them ask questions and I have my little pelvis model. I, I still don't think they have any idea what I do, but I do hope that I'm able to educate them more than I was educated just so that if they have partners or whomever, they have an understanding of what goes on in the body. A hundred percent. Boy moms unite. That's all three of us. <laughs> yes. So I want people to get to know you a little bit more. So Brandy, do you want to roll us into our next segment? Yes. So we have uh, two more segments, two mini segments, basically. And the first one is, let me tell you something. And it derived from Angelina and I calling each other and saying, hey, girl, let me tell you something. And just it could be anything, pop culture, something that's relevant to the topic, something you experienced, you know, a couple days ago or this week. So being our guest, we would like to find out from you. Is there anything you want to tell us? Sure. Oh, gosh. Where do I start? I have a twin. She lives in Chicago. She is not in the medical field at all and thinks it's, you know, weird that I touch people. So, <laughs> But I'm like, <laughs> I think it's weird you sit in a cubicle all day, so it's fair. But um, yeah, I have a twin sister. I'm the youngest of four. Um, I have two boys. And yeah, I'm married to a wonderful husband. I think that I... Gosh, I am like just a normal struggle bus mom. You know, I try to work out a couple of days a week. And I actually have this weird thing about where I constantly try to push myself outside of my comfort zone, whether that's like training for a marathon, which I've done one, training for a triathlon, which I've done one. I moved to a city, Ann Arbor, Michigan for six months where I didn't know anybody in grad school because I was like, I just want to figure out how to like be on my own. During COVID, I picked up tennis as at the age of 39 as like a new hobby. Love it. Because I was, yeah. So, I mean, I just think I'm always trying to like, it's not always comfortable. I have this like social anxiety walking into a, a room of people like everybody else. But I also believe that the more we do something, the better it gets and the easier it gets. So I'm just kind of always trying to find those little opportunities to kind of push myself a little bit more. Awesome. Love it. My, let me tell you something is I started doing Pilates uh, like the Pilates reformer. And so my PT had a reformer in her office and they made me do exercises on the reformer. And I was looking for something more low impact. And I was telling Angelina about this last night. I, um, I tried a Pilates reformer bar class 
and it was unbelievable. I was sore for several days, but I'm like, oh, hopefully this helps me with my pelvic floor and my core. So my hope is that, you know, continuing on with something like a Pilates or the reformer, one, it's fun. It just kind of keeps my brain entertained by using all these little, in, you know, little gadgets that they have. But two, it's so concentrated and I, and, and I just love it. It's pretty amazing. Well, mine for this week, my let me tell you something has been just in preparation for this interview, realizing that according to Sarah's words, I could use a tune up. I definitely, I have been continuing to use the tips that she's given me, but just like anything else we get out of practice. And so I recently got a Peloton and I think I could use a little tune up on, which I love it, but I think I need to tune up with my pelvic floor therapist. So Sarah's going to be Let's seeing. do it. And I love the Peloton as well. So I am a big fan. I am too. I, I love it. So I've been doing that and bar together, you know, so I'm enjoying it, but I definitely need to. I like to think that I was a contributor to this Peloton purchase you because were. Angelina came up to visit and she's like, all right, I'm going to try this Peloton thing. I have one at home and I'm like, Girl, I hate cycle classes. I will I not too. go to a cycle class in public because I look like I'm in pain, but I will do it at home. And I love their instructors because they keep you so entertained. It's it's a lot of fun. That's my fave. Okay, so this section we like to call rapid fire. So this is a great way for us to learn a little bit more about you, Sarah. So the first question is, what is your go-to pleasure or self-care, something that you have to have every day or do every day? The only thing that I do every day is drink a warm cup of coffee in the morning. Like literally, I get up in the morning, turn on my little kettle, I do a pour over, and I make like a delicious cup of coffee. It's really like cream with a touch of coffee every morning. And it is just kind of this like lovely ritual. The actually other thing that we started doing is teaching my kids to meditate. So my husband and I used to do this a long time ago, and my husband still has a great practice. Mine is like non-existent after kids, but um, my mother-in-law taught my kids how to do it, and we've just been sitting down for a couple minutes before bedtime, and you know, two minutes, five minutes, but just really teaching them to kind of sit still, and it's benefiting me. So that's a big one. And acupuncture. I go to acupuncture once a week, and it's changed my life. I think I'm going to implement this meditation practice with my kids. That's a great idea. It's fascinating that they can do it. I know. Episode, um, is that our episode four, I believe, Brandy? Mm -hmm. Episode yep. four, we interview Stephanie Osborne. She's the wife of artist Terrence Osborne, but she has her own practice in New Orleans. And that episode's great. She gives she, so many tips about meditation. And after that, I realized we need to be meditating because she talks about how it actually, in the long run, it can change your emotional and stress response to things. Totally. I love it. Um, okay. So if, if you could live anywhere for a year, other than where you currently live, where would you go? Australia, like the beaches of Australia. There's no guns there. <laughs> so I'm like terrified of guns. Um, there's very little crime. They're pretty progressive and there's beaches and I love the beach. Like I just think it would be, and they're English speaking for me traveling. I love traveling, but when there's a language barrier, I definitely struggle more. So I think like bringing my kids there and my family for a year and just like living our best beach life and learning a different culture and having a ton of outside time would be awesome. That sounds dreamy. Australia's on my list. My kids, me too. too. They, they want to go so bad, but it, <sighs> it's quite a hike, isn't it? It is. It's, it's like, like a the other side of the world, right? 
like a 20 or 22 hour flight, I believe, something like that. Yeah. Well, hey, we add it to our list. If you could spend, choose the way you spend the day off, your perfect day off, what would you do? Hang out with my siblings. I have, I'm one of four and I, we all have families, but I would literally like, you know, maybe go to tennis and then we'd like go, I don't know, shopping or get lunch and just like hang out and laugh. And yeah, they're probably my favorite people to hang out with. And we talk multiple Mm -hmm. times a week. So I would um, definitely work out and do something outside and then just like shop and do what we love to do together. That would be a pretty perfect day. Your parents must've been busy. Well, you know, it's (laughs) interesting. I mean, I think that was a big mistake, actually. So <laughs> we have, my mom had three pregnancies. Well, three. She had two kids under two. And then she got pregnant a third time, which was a surprise. And then that surprise ended up being twins. So my twin and I are like the babies. So she had four of us under four years old. And Ugh. she is amazing. She's just like, I... I'm like, how do you do it? You know? And she was like, you just put one foot in front of the other, Sarah, you know? And so she, yeah. And she raised us as a single mom from when I was eight years old on. So she is just awesome. Talk about a rock star. Superwoman. I know she is a superwoman and she doesn't know it and doesn't say it. But when I'm like, it's so hard. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Like, and (laughs) she just is cut from a different cloth than I am. I'm like, I need to feel everything and journal and cry and talk to my therapist. And she is none of that. So it's, I think it's our generation too. I mean, we're, we're elder millennials, you know? So I like to still consider myself in the millennial group as well. So (laughs) yeah. What year were you born? 82. Oh, it's two. Yeah. I just turned 40 two weeks ago. Oh, welcome to the club. I know. When I got your email, I was like, yes, I'll be 40 when we do the podcast. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Mine, I turned in May and then Brandy's in June. June. We are with you. Yeah. It's not as bad as I thought. It's actually great. Yeah. No, I feel like this is the beginning leading up to it was stressful. But now that I'm here and I'm sitting in this space, I'm embracing it. I'm actually, I feel like for the first time in my life, like I'm really unapologetically myself. Good for you. I I hope this is okay to say, but I just hung out with a girlfriend over my birthday weekend. She was like, yeah, it's the no fuck forties. Like you just don't care what people think you are like, you just care more about the things that matter and less about the things that don't matter. That's what so many of our guests are saying that you just stop worrying about all the things that don't matter. Yeah. And I think this is, that's a great segue into if you could tell your younger self one thing, Sarah, what would that be? Wow. Um, that breastfeeding's hard. Oh, no. I mean, because <laughs> it, <is. laughs> it is. Yeah, that there's a lot of things that in the moment feel so big, but in the big scheme of life, they really don't matter that much. Whether that is breastfeeding, whether that is a breakup, whether that is where your kids go to school. I mean, just all of these huge decisions that they just feel so big in the moment once you get past them, you're like, oh, that's really not that big of a deal. So I think I would probably tell myself to spend less energy, emotional and mental energy, stressing about the things that in 10 years, they're not going to matter that much. And there are certain things that do matter. My kids, my marriage, my career, my family, but you know, these little small things, it's, um, I would just give less energy towards them. That's amazing advice. Amazing. I feel like we could talk to you for days yeah. <laughs> this has been such an insightful conversation. We have loved every minute of it. We also know that our audience will too. Cannot thank you enough for being yes. a part of 
our journey as well as just sharing more about your experience and providing such insightful guidance to our audience. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you all for having me. And so one more time, Sarah, could you share your website and your Instagram? I'm on Instagram as the.vagina.whisperer. There are other vagina whispers out there. So mine has the dots, but you'll see me. And my website is thevagwhisperer.com. Awesome. You are amazing. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to meet you. It's such a joy. Thank you both. Thank you guys so much. Cheers. Bye. Thank you all for joining us in today's episode. The information provided in today's episode is for informational purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice. We advise our audience to consult a medical professional or healthcare provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and treatment. Thank you all again for joining us on another episode of Talk 40 to Me, and we look forward to next week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening in. And as a member of our community, we want to hear from you. Follow us on social at Talk 40 to Me podcast and share your feedback on today's topic. How is the conversation relevant in your life? And is there a topic you'd love to hear us discuss? On that note, cheers to aging gracefully, living life to the fullest, and enjoying another day with your besties in life.